0: Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8 30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at www.first-pres.org. Who knows? That's pretty fun. Friends, we're looking today at Esther. I encourage you to open your Bibles or pull the Bible out in front of you. The words will be on the screens in front of you, though, if you'd like to follow along that way. Uh, Esther is, um, is right before the book of Job. It's a little hard to find, tucked back there. Start with the Psalms in the dead middle. Turn left, you'll find it. As we're looking at Esther chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And let's pray. Lord, open your word to us, we pray, and open us to your word, that we might hear from you and know that you see us, you love us, and we are part of your story, in Jesus' name. Amen. Esther chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, hear the word of the Lord. Esther speaking. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. We're grateful for God's word. Hey, does my story matter? That's what we're going to be asking each other over the next seven weeks. Does my story matter? Does my story matter to God? When I was in Oxford for a year, I had a supervisor, and my supervisor at Oxford was the classic mad professor. I mean, he was a genius. He could tell you the use of of a particular Greek word anywhere in the classical corpus of the Greek language in the ancient, I mean, he's a genius. But to find him with his buttons of his shirt lined up was actually an odd day. He just was sort of a mad professor. And, and, um, and one day we were in class and he, he drew a map of the Mediterranean And he drew it with a a dry erase marker on the projector screen. (laughs) He drew the whole thing before realizing that wasn't the whiteboard. And we all just thought, well, he's a genius. You know, one day I saw him during exam week in his, his Oxford black robes carrying under his arm, tucked all these, these papers, and he was sort of running through the, the sidewalk, and, and I, I was looking at him and thinking, man, any of those papers could just fall out from under his arm, and he wouldn't even know the difference. And I thought, every one of those papers, every one of them is, is the hopes and the dreams of, of some poor Oxford undergrad. And then I thought, or me. Or me. Maybe my paper is, is stuck under there. So I kind of walked along behind him, 10 paces behind, just to, just to make sure. Well, friends, is that, is that what God is like? Do you sometimes wonder if that's what God is like? Do you sometimes wonder if your story, your life, it's just like one of those papers tucked under God's arm in this unmanageable pile of, of thoughtlessly carried stories. Maybe even, maybe even it's been forgotten in the gutter of heaven. Do you sometimes wonder? We're gonna go through this, this series and what we're going to learn together is we're, we're going to be encouraged. You see, because this is my life. This is the only story I have. It means the world to me. Does my story matter? You're going to be encouraged that your story matters to God. You're going to learn together. We're going to learn together as we look at these stories. God is in my story, we'll say. God is in my story. And my story is in God. In fact, to get us rolling, can we just say that together? Say, God is in my story. my My story is in God. Amen. Esther is where we start. And Esther is a funny book. It's a little bit odd. It's a wonderful book. It's a beautiful piece of literature. If you, We're just dipping in, but I encourage you to read the whole story. You'll be blessed if you did. It's got everything in it. It's got uh, romance and, and uh, mystery and royal intrigue and murder and plans and all this stuff. It's got everything Shakespeare would want in a good story. But it's kind of an odd book. It's one of only two books in the Bible that's named for a woman, Esther and Ruth. But it's also an odd book, unique because it's one of only two books in the Bible that never mentions God by name, Esther and the Song of Songs. That makes it kind of stand out. But what he, what I want you to know is God is involved even when he's not named. In fact, If I were to summarize the message of Esther for you, I would say it's this. God is involved in your story even when you can't see him at work. God is there even if you wonder. God is in my story and my story is in God. Maybe you've read Esther, maybe not. Let me give you the quick version of the whole story. It it runs like this. It begins, it all begins with a woman saying, No. King Xerxes was the great king of Persia. We're in the 480s B.C. And and he was this great king of this great land and he had a wife named Vashti who was very beautiful. And King Xerxes called a festival and after seven days of drunkenness to celebrate in a a kingdom-wide festival, all to celebrate his awesomeness, Xerxes sent a message to his wife, Vashti. He said, hey, Vashti, why don't you come out and kind of parade around in front of everybody so everybody in the kingdom can know what a hot wife I have. Sorry, that's my translation. That's not exactly what you read in chapter one, but it's pretty close. And now to this brilliant offer, you know, your husband ever give you a brilliant offer? To this brilliant offer, Vashti says... No, I don't think that's what we'll be doing. So let me just pause there and just say, as a, as a pastor, as a father, I hope that every young woman in our church knows how to stand up on your two feet and say, no, that's not what we're going to be doing No is a very important part of your vocabulary. I hope that you can say no. And the the man, any man that you're with who won't accept no is not a man you need to spend another minute with even if he's the king of Persia. Amen. (laughs) And that's a little lighthearted saying no is funny, but let me say this a little bit more seriously. If you, if any of you, uh, young women, if any women, if any of you in this church, if you are in a position where someone in power and authority is pushing on you, is is pressing on you, making you feel uncomfortable, pushing you into places you don't want to go, I want to tell you right now, I want to say very clearly, you give me a call. (laughs) I trust every one of our pastors on our staff. You pick one of the pastors on our staff and you give them a call. First Pres is coming to get you out of that situation. It's not right. Amen. Vashti, thank you. Uh, Vashti says no. That's very important. And in the middle of that, in God's providence, in God's mysterious way of being a part of the story, even when you don't think God is part of the story, in this moment of principle, in this moment where Vashti says, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. When Vashti says that, this moment of principle, this moment of rightness, it opens up a window for all that happens next. And Vashti is dismissed. And Xerxes runs a a nationwide beauty contest to find a new wife. And Esther wins. And so Esther, by virtue of her beauty, by that gift alone that she has, by that gift alone she is elevated to this position of queen. But there's a lot more to Esther than what meets the eye. Esther's Jewish. She's part of the covenant people of God. And she was hiding that part of her story. The Jewish people were living in Persia as a conquered and marginalized people, hidden in the shadows, out on the margins of Persia, this great ancient kingdom. Esther was part of the people of God. Esther was also adopted We don't get the the whole story of her original family, but we know that she had no father, no mother to care for her. And so it was Mordecai, her cousin, who stepped forward and said, I'll adopt uh, my cousin Esther. I'll bring you into my own home as my own daughter. I'll make you my own. And so she's adopted into his care. See this now. Esther came from nothing. She came from nothing. And yet as fate would have it. Is that what we should say? By the luck of the draw. As it just happened to turn out. Is that what we should say? No. As God would have it, she arose to a place of great influence. Esther chapter two, verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet. Esther's banquet. There she is, she's unknown, you know, imagine that. All of a sudden there's a a banquet in her name, Esther's banquet for all his nobles and officials, he proclaimed a holiday throughout the providence and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Now you see, on that day, Esther can clearly say, she can confidently say, God is in my story. Could she have said that when she was lonely and vulnerable, orphaned on the streets with no one to care for her? We would like her to have been able to say that, but it would have been hard, wouldn't it? Could she have said that when Mordecai showed up and said, I'm your cousin, but I'm going to adopt you as your father. I'm gonna care for you. All that's mine is yours. Could she have said that then when things started to turn a little bit better? Maybe I would like her to say that, but it's hard. But in this moment, I want you to see of, of great blessing, this moment in her life where everything is just, it's just overwhelming, what God is doing in her life. She can confidently say, God is in my story. Why? Because I was nothing. I was no one. No one knew my name. And now I'm the queen, and everybody has my name on their lips. I was an orphan girl on the streets, lost and forgotten, and now there's a festival all the way across the land under my name, Esther. Esther. Only God could do it. Explain it some other way. She could confidently say, God is in my story. Can you say that? God is in my story. And now comes the crisis. Because in Xerxes' court is a man named Haman. And out of a lust for power and out of hatred for Mordecai and all the Jewish people, Haman decides to launch a plan to kill all the Jews in the empire and take what they have for himself and for his network of friends. See, some people ascend to power by stepping on the vulnerable. Others give themselves away and wait for God to lift them up. They give themselves away to the well-being of others. But some rise to power by stepping on the backs of the vulnerable. Haman was that type. When Mordecai caught wind of it, he got a message to Esther, his adopted daughter, who's now the queen. And we get, our, we get to our moment, our little passage today. Because in the crisis, Mordecai says, listen, you've got to do something. You have to go in and talk to the king. You have to, you have to save us. No one else is going to advocate for us, Esther. And so we come to this moment Mordecai tells Esther, go on in there. But Esther is not so sure because she hasn't been invited to see the king for 30 days and and even though she's the queen, she can't come in and see the king whenever she wants. And if she walks in uninvited, she could have what happened to her, what happens to anyone else in that case. The king could just say, I'm finished with you and have her killed. So here comes the challenge. Here comes the clarity in the crisis in the moment of truth. Friends, it's also the moment where God shows up. And Mordecai challenges her. He says, if you don't do it, God will get it done in another way. He says it like this, verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family, who's that? Well, that's Mordecai. (laughs) And his family, you and your father's family will perish. And here we go. And who knows? but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows? There it is. That's our title verse. That's our our series. We're asking... Who knows? Somehow in God's providence, God is writing a story and we can't see all of it. Who knows but that God has you right where you are just so he would have his person, he would have his woman, his daughter, his his woman ready to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, for the glory of God. Who knows? Who knows? But that God has you right where he has you to bring glory to his name. Are you willing to find out Well, in the crisis, Esther comes to faith. Watch now. Verse 15. Then Esther sent reply to Mordecai. You see, I think she had to think about it. She had to pray about it. You know, Mordecai, give me a second here. And she prayed about it. She comes to a position of resolve. She sends a message back to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, everybody in the city, fast for me, Now, that's a call for prayer. Fast for me. There's no, there's no fasting without prayer in the Bible. That's a call for prayer. I and my attendants will fast as you do when this is done. And how long now? I want you to fast no food, no drink. For how long? Three days. Does anybody find three days significant? She says, after that, after all that, after you've prayed for me, I will go. I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Friends, Esther is prefiguring Christ here. She's willing to die for her people. And that is faith. Out of the moment of crisis, after, out of the moment where everything is going wrong, this is faith. Faith emerges. And she says, Lord, this could be it. I could die doing this, but I know that you want me in there. I know you want me in the game, and so I'm in. I step out of the boat. I walk out on the wire. I'll go for you, where you want me to go. I'm entirely in your hands. Lord, behold your servant. Let it be unto me as your word commands. I'm yours, I'm yours entirely. And if I die, then I die. So be it. My life is in your hands. And can't you just hear Jesus coming along and whispering into Esther's ear, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Or you and I, if we're believers this morning, if you've given your life to Christ, then we can say back to Esther, we can say with Paul, we can say, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. My life isn't given over to God in a partial way. It isn't just some of me that belongs to God. My life is given fully over to God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this is faith. This is faith emerging in the moment of existential crisis. This is faith that says, I give my life to Jesus. It's a life in your hands, God. And if I die, I die. I'm not getting out of here alive anyway. And so all I have is yours. Lord, I'm yours. Esther Maybe she looked back at that moment and she could see, looking back in her life, she could see God is in my story. She had evidence of how God had moved in her life and she could see, you know, I was nothing. I was was nobody and God made me who I am. All my story makes sense building up to this moment, you know. And she could look back and say, God is in my story. And all this comfort and, and, and wealth and privilege and renown and influence, God did all this. I was nothing and now I'm queen. God is in my story. But friends, you can't come to faith until you're able to say, my story is in God. She could look back and say, God is in my story. But it's only in this moment where she says, I'm going, and if I die, I die. It's in this moment that she's able to say, my story belongs to God. I'm in your hands, Lord. You write your story for your glory. I may be, Lord, a part of something that I don't, I don't fully understand. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I have to risk it all again. Maybe you're in a place in your life where that's where you are. You say, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand why. Everything that I've done, I've amassed, everything that I am seems to be on the table again. I'm risking it all again. Why? And you don't know. You don't know. But you say confidently, Lord, Lord, I know you're in my story, and Lord, I know my story is in you. I give you my life. I give you my all. You use my life to write your story, however you will. Well, Esther, she does it, you see. And you can read the rest of the story yourself. Um, Things turn out uh, good for her and, and the Jewish people. In fact, Haman winds up hanging on the gallows that he had built to try to hang Mordecai on and Esther and Mordecai—they get their—they're not perfect people. The revenge they get is bloody; it's—it's uh, kind of gruesome. But I want you to hear this from Esther: Who knows? But that God has put you right where you are right now to do what He needs you to do for His glory and to write His story. See, every one of us, we ask that question. Do I matter? Does my story matter? Does God see me? Does he know me? For me, if I can talk a little bit personally, I've, I've come to learn about myself. But part of my story and my makeup and who I am, I've got this little inner child. You know, we all have that little inner child. My little inner child is a little, a little inner child that sort of screams, hey, I need attention. Hey, I want everyone look over here. Look at me. You know, am I seen, am I known? And I have to kind of uh, parent that little child. It does good things for me. It's part of who makes, makes me who I am. It makes me do things like get up and talk to thousands of people about Jesus. That's a good thing, right? But that little, that little inner child can be some trouble for me too when things don't go exactly right. You know, if, when an agent says no or a publisher says no or the, there's no invite to the big uh, event to speak in front of the big crowds and the spotlight kind of dims a little bit and that little inner child starts to pipe up. Hey, look at me, I need attention, look at me, look at me. And I have to parent that, that inner child. Say, don't make me come back there. Maybe you relate to that. So I keep a post-it note on my on my computer screen from Psalm 138, verse 8. Maybe this will encourage you. It says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. His purpose. His glory. His story. Not mine. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Maybe you don't have the same little affliction I have, but... But we all ask that question, does God see me? Does God know me? Does he care about my story? Listen, your story matters to him. One of my favorite moments in the Gospels is when Jesus was trucking along in this big parade to go and heal a very important man's daughter, a leader in the synagogue, and a woman reached out from the crowd and touched the hem of his cloak, and she had been bleeding for 12 years, and she was healed. And Jesus stopped everything, and he turns and he finds the woman, and in Mark chapter five, verse 33, we say, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Another translation says, the whole story. And Jesus sat down and heard the whole thing. He made everybody wait to hear the whole story. Twelve years of suffering. Do you think that took a minute? And Jesus listened. He cares about your story. He knows your story. He sees you. He loves you. I was watching... um, National Geographic channel about these scientists that are tracking the emperor penguins and waiting for the little emperor penguins that are born out of those little eggs and, and they grow up and then they're big enough to jump into the water. And they were trying to film the moment where the emperor penguins jump into the water. It's crazy. And these divers who dived down to film that, they got under the ice and they found this incredibly beautiful undersea garden. Here's some pictures of it. All these beautiful colors and this coral and these plants and, and flowers. And and they were amazed. Up above, you know, it's arctic. There's two colors, white and black. And frozen. And underneath this beautiful tapestry, these beautiful colors. And you think, what a waste. You know? Why would God waste all that beauty in the the subarctic sea. Well, what does that tell you? God knows every one of those pieces of coral. He knows every one of those colors he made. it. He knows every one of those plants. If God has regard for the coral under the Arctic sea, how much more does he love and value you and know your story? You, who he sent his son to die for, he knows you and he loves you. And I want to close with this. I got a card after Easter and I want to share this story with you. Not the name, I'm just going to share what was written in the card. It said, Dear Pastor Tim, having turned away from God for over 40 plus years and only opening my heart and mind to him in May of last year, and accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior in June. Your sermon yesterday hit home. I know God used you to talk directly to me yesterday as tears of joy flooded my eyes and fell from my face, cleaning me of all my doubts and fears, and God told me through you how much he loves me and for me to stop searching for why I turned away And to embrace him through Jesus and focus on following and trusting in him unconditionally. Thank you so much for being his voice, not only to me, but to so many others who are searching PS. We are thrilled to have just joined First Press. Man, what an incredible card to receive! Why do I read that? Not because it has anything to do with me. I read that because I want you to know that's what God is doing. As we come and we do what we do and we worship God, God is doing what he does and he is touching and changing lives and 40 years of wandering away from God. Do you think that took a minute? God knows that story and now he's redeemed it all and it's all become part of a story of his glory and his grace. There may be someone here this morning sitting right next to you who wonders, does my story matter to God? Does he see me? Does he know me? I want you to know this morning, God sees you. He knows you. God is in your story. Will you let your story be in God? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you know us, each one of us, that you love us. Help us, Lord, to step forward towards you with courage. To know and believe, Lord, that you see us, you know us. And Lord, we know that there is something beyond this commitment. That there is life to be had behind our bold commitment to put our, hand, our life in your hands. And so we pray, Lord, that you help us, that you reach out to us, grab a hold of us. And help us to know and believe that you love us and know us, each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.